0: Millie Subtle Insane's pronouns she her is an ecologist and science communicator with the Woodland and Wetland Trust that looks after two reserves in the ACT, or Australian Capital Territory. That's Mulligan Flat Woodland Sanctuary and Gerabombera Wetlands. Immersed in important box gum grassy woodland, a critically endangered habitat, Mulligan Flat is a wildlife reserve situated on Nanawal Country, with a feral-proof fence protecting some unique and threatened Australian animals, like the Eastern Betong, the Eastern Quall and the Spottail Quall. Millie's here today to talk to us all about this amazing project, as well as her journey and experience as an ecologist in conservation and advocacy. Welcome Millie. Hello and welcome to It's a Wildlife, podcast and blog sharing the great work being done for wildlife conservation worldwide and solving problems for ecologists by ecologists if you're a fellow wildlifer whether you're just starting out or you've been about the traps for a while tune in and let's chat you're in the right place welcome to the podcast did you want to start today by introducing yourself and your role
1: yeah, sure. Um, thanks for having me on, Susie. Um, so my name's Millie sutherland Um My role is with the Woodlands and Wetlands Trust in Canberra. I'm, I'm the ecologist at Mulligan's Flat. I'm talking to you from animal country today, so i um, just like to say Yuma, which is hello here.
0: <laughs> oh, wonderful. Well, first and foremost, do you want to talk about maybe the significance for you of working on Indigenous country?
1: Yeah, big time. Um, so I'm not Indigenous, I should say um but obviously and you would feel the same Susie having um that connection to country uh you know it's like being in my heart um you know from as long as i can remember so i feel very privileged to be able to care for the country that i live on feel very privileged to have been welcomed onto the country that i live and work on so um yeah definitely it feels like yeah a real privilege to be able to contribute to restoring the ecosystems that do still exist here and the species that are still around
0: absolutely and for people who might not be aware mulligan flat is an incredible reintroduction project so some of the animals that weren't there are now back in the landscape. Did you want to talk a little bit about that?
1: Yes, sure. It's like an outdoor lab, basically, Mulligan's Flat. So um, long before I started working there, um, Australian National University and ACT Parks and Conservation Service worked together to protect this area of significant box gum grassy woodlands, which is a critically endangered ecosystem. And since then, there's basically been a whole bunch of different experiments Done within that sanctuary. And one of them is what you uh, mentioned the reintroduction science, which is really interesting, area of ecology, putting back a broken ecosystem and so figuring out you know which species to introduce first because obviously we would love to have everything that was there back there but obviously some have gone extinct some are large predators so we can't just have predators without all the prey so yeah it's really interesting being a part of that whole rewilding or rebuilding of a whole ecosystem so I'm very very privileged to work there um, and part of my job is doing what I'm with you chatting about it and um, educating the community, because there's a lot of people who you know really are interested in nature but don't really understand the extent of the damage that has happened since European settlement. So it's really nice to be able to educate people, whether that's like a kindy kid or their grandma, uh, <laughs> on like yeah, what's happening in the ACT and um, you know the positive environmental stories that are coming out of Mulligan's Flat, which is super nice.
0: How exciting! So how would a typical day at work for you pan out?
1: Yeah, so I've kind of got two hats in my job. Um, One of them is the outreach one, so could be you know there's a hundred kids coming from a local school to kind of have a look around and so taking those guys into different areas of the sanctuary and talking about different things the other side of it is the more not-for-profit or like uh, I guess ecological focus so it could be in the field you know radio tracking animals or you know some days I just sit in the office trying to write grant applications <laughs> so it is a good variety but those kind of like the main three things that I you know I work on.
0: Absolutely. And which animals have you got in Mulligan's flat at the moment? We I have a bunch of
1: animals, obviously, um, but the ones that I kind of work with the most are the Eastern Betong. These guys have been reintroduced into Mulligans in 2012. So next, I oh don't know, this year, it's their 10 year anniversary. Oh my God, it's already April in 2022, man. Yeah, so they've been in Mulligans for 10 years and they've got a really lovely self-sustaining population, which is cool to see. And they've been extinct from the ACT for 120 years, so it's amazing to see how they've literally bounced back since we've removed cats and foxes. <laughs> we also have eastern quolls, which, you know, very similar story. Um, they're only found in Tassie now, same as eastern bettons. And um, more recently, I've been a part of a trial reintroduction of the spotted tail quolls. So we have put 2 castrated males spotted tail quolls into Mulligan's flat to see how they do in a grassy woodland environment with the species that are already existing um, which is interesting as well because these guys are captive so there's kind of that side of looking at can they go back to hunting um, as well because it appears we've got too many possums now that we don't have cats and foxes in the (laughs) sanctuary hoping they'll solve that problem
0: Bring some natural predators back.
1: That's it. That's it.
0: We might talk a little bit more about Mulligan's flight down the track. But for now, did you mind sharing a bit of your story, how you came into this incredible role and where your passion for wildlife really was sparked? I've
1: always loved animals. Probably everyone says that. I think I remember when I was in about year two thinking I really want to be a wildlife carer when I grow up. And then I found out that that was actually volunteer work. So I went, okay. Well, I need to get paid somehow as well. And in year three, I distinctly remember. do you remember doing those big poster projects in primary school? Yeah, um, yeah, I did one on the Bilby, and I just became obsessed with marsupials after that. like like you know how kids kind of really focus in on weird topics. That was my weird topic. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I kind of lost my way throughout high school and then yeah as an adult I kind of went oh, I'm just going to study environmental science and like see where it gets me and yeah after volunteering for many many years I um, landed a guiding job at Mulligan's Flat where I get to got to share the story of Mulligan's and then eventually got a paid job like permanent full-time job through that so it was very much a Step by step by step process of me getting to where I am now, but yeah, I'm really grateful of all of the lessons that I've learned along the way, and um, you know. I love my job now, so it was definitely worth all the heartache.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Something that really comes through through a lot of what you've been talking about today is just how appreciative you seem. Do you find that gratitude plays a big part in the sort of work that we do as ecologists?
1: Yeah, I I think so. I think especially like for me, um, you know, it's really easy to get bogged down in all of the negative news in the environmental world, um, not just in Australia, but globally. So, I yeah, the way that I get through it is, you know, being so appreciative that I've got my little small pocket that I'm helping look after and, um, you know, being able to talk to people about what we're doing, you know, as you're doing as well, Susie. So, yeah, I think that really plays a massive difference. And, um, yeah, it's it's really helpful for me to focus on that because you, you know we're only one person so we just do our best yeah hopefully our governments will wake up one day and we won't have to deal with all the crap things from climate change so that'd be nice girls can
0: dream right <laughs> yeah <laughs> something that you've really touched on your role is really magnifying the voice for wildlife do you think that education and advocacy play a really important role in sort of helping to shift those bigger picture issues?
1: Yeah, I think people putting out thes and papers is like amazing because that's like getting research out into the world. But I do think that the everyday person is not going to go and search for a specific scientific paper. So I think we do have a responsibility to almost translate that science into layman's terms that anyone can understand and um, be the, the voice of reason, I guess, in a lot of these issues that, you know, are being contended a lot at the moment. And yeah, I really do think science communication is a very important part of environmental science. I love teaching people about, it. actually, I've got a story. If you don't mind. <laughs> Please, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, one day I was taking a tour and um, I was talking about how in the ACT we do kangaroo calls every year. It's very thought out. There's lots of science that goes in behind it. And actually a lot of the science that went into starting that kangaroo culling program throughout the ACT came from Mulligan's Flat. And so I was explaining all the background to this particular group and I had a woman come up to me after I'd explained it all and say, look, I was actually really against the kangaroo culls before I heard you explain the whole thing. Yet now, like, I kind of get it. Like, not many people really want to go out and shoot all these kangaroos, but it seems like it's the necessary thing to do so I Guess I'm for it now. And, you know, that doesn't happen every day. (laughs) Yeah, it just kind of showed me the power of being able to, you know, explain the science, like black and white science behind why we're doing this thing. And yeah, that was super powerful for me. So ever since then, I've been like, yep, massive advocate for science communication.
0: (laughs) Something so simple as taking the time to share a story or share some knowledge with somebody that can absolutely change their perspective. And if you do that enough, you can. ultimately hopefully change the broader picture for conservation the outlook on some of these issues do you find that tour guiding at Mulligan Slats is a nice sort of microcosm I guess a case study for some of the broader issues of conservation that impact our wildlife
1: that's a really good question Susie I think in the ACT a lot of people are very educated Um, so uh, the people who are visiting on a tour are probably almost we're preaching to the choir. But I think being able to bring kids in and explain to them, hey, this animal has actually been eaten to the brink of extinction by cats and foxes and we have a big fence here that keep those cats and foxes out and now they're doing really well they can see that and then they can go home and tell their parents about it or their friends about it so yeah I do think that you know the more people we're talking to the more change we are creating really and not everyone is going to listen like and that's fine everyone's (laughs) entitled to their opinion but you know I reckon the more we can chat about it the better it will
0: be. Absolutely. What are some of those key messages that you want to get out to sort of change the hearts and minds of your guests?
1: I think the main message that I do try and get across when I'm taking people through is, you know, we are kind of all custodians of our backyards. Um, We can all do small things to create change. Like, I don't know if it's all across Australia, but in Canberra there's a massive thing um, at the moment with microforests. Everyone's planting all these natives in these little tiny parks um, and creating like yeah a micro for birds to come through and forage in. Yeah. And I think we get fed a lot of this negative news with the environment. So being able to tell people, you know, this is actually just a small group of people. Generally, like it's actually mostly community people that are helping us do what we do at Mulligan's Flat. And so, you know, being able to be like, look, you can join a community group near you or you can plant natives near your garden or you can keep your cat inside at night like you know there's very simple things that People can do to, that makes a massive difference to their local environment. So I think, in general, I'm talking very generally here, that felt that they get very overwhelmed. There's so many things that we should and shouldn't be doing, and the messaging is quite confusing. Whereas, you know, with our native environment, it's actually yeah, a few simple changes will make a massive difference. And then when we're taking people through Mulligans, we can show them the, the difference. Like Mulligans Flat was a farm about a hundred years ago, so now it's this beautiful nature reserve so you know stranger things have happened
0: absolutely did you want to talk a little bit about the importance of volunteering
1: yeah yep definitely um, if I ever you know if we have work experience students at work they say you know how do you get a job like yours and I say volunteer your life away <laughs> You could just get so many practical skills from volunteering, whether it's, you know, with a local group doing weeding on the weekend, or if it's PhD students or honours students that you can go out with in the field. I did a bunch of that through uni. And then uh, when I moved back home, I volunteered at the zoo for a while, which was not very useful, but you know, I made a lot of friends through that. And then, um, yeah, volunteered at Mulligan's, which is just eventually how I got my job there. I think in this field, like people applying for wildlife and environmental jobs would see it time after time after time. They need five years experience doing this. Like how are they going to get that experience if they're a new graduate? It's by volunteering. So yeah, I Definitely would recommend anyone listening or reading this to bloody get out there and volunteer their butt off um, so they can get as much experience as possible. So when they are going for those jobs, they go, Oh, yeah, I've done that before. I've done that. Makes them very employable and also meeting the right people. So it might be a case of right place, right time, and then they very well might get a job out of it. So, yep, big time, love volunteering. <laughs>
0: Do you guys take volunteers over at the Mulligan's Flat Project? Yes, we do. We currently have
1: 500 volunteers sign up on our database, which is mental, but probably about... 40 of them are actually active. (laughs) We have kind of seasonal projects. So we do like a massive echidna sweep once a year, counting all the echidnas in Mulligan's flat to make sure their numbers aren't spiking. We also do things like turtle patrol because the turtles migrate between water bodies, but there's a big fence in the way. So we have a group that walk the hotspot areas of the fence and if they find a turtle, they move it to the other side of the fence so they can continue on their migration. But we also do things like uh, radio tracking training. We've got the spotted tail quolls uh, at the moment uh, being radio tracked mostly by volunteers, which is excellent for me. And we've also got an eastern brown snake that is being tracked at the moment. So um, he's been tracked daily. So we've been going out and tracking this 1.7 meter eastern brown snake, which can be really fun at some times. <laughs> so yeah, we've got heaps of different projects. If anyone lives in Canberra or wants to travel to Canberra, look up Mulligan's Flat and there's a volunteer page on our website.
0: That sounds fantastic. Not just to be contributing to those important projects, but to be gaining skills, networking, experience, because really, you know, you need the field experience. You just can't get that experience through your university course a lot of the time. No,
1: because as you would know, Susie, it never happens how you plan.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you've got a lot of really iconic species inside the fence at Mulligan's Flat. First of all, is the entire reserve fenced? Yeah, so it's
1: interesting. So there is um, part of Mulligan's Reserve is outside of the fence um, and this kind of acts as a bit of a buffer zone because we basically have suburbia on the edge of the sanctuary, um, which is quite unusual to most fenced sanctuaries. But we do have a buffer zone around the outside. I think it's maybe another 150 hectares that's outside Mulligan's flat and then we have 485 inside the fenced area but in 2018 we extended the sanctuary into the reserve next door which is called Guruuru Nature Reserve and so now we have 1200 hectares of fenced area and um, we're in the process of getting we think we're pretty sure we got rid of all the rabbits in Guru but we're getting rid of the last foxes and
0: they're smart buggers I tell you
1: <laughs> they know when we're coming <laughs> it's just the last like one or two we just can't seem to get rid of.
0: And is the plan to continue the reintroduction project into that new area?
1: Yeah, yeah. So we really want our species to not be acting like a little island population. We want it to be like a meta population. So we um, will be moving our bettons and eastern quolls into Goorooro, but we also have a good relationship with Mount Rothwell down in Victoria. So we are already sharing uh, mostly eastern quolls in between the two reserves Share love. That's right. We don't, yeah, we're all trying to do the same thing, so why would we keep all the bettons for ourselves? But in Garoo it's quite a different landscape. It was grazing land for a lot longer than Mulligan's Flat, so it is a bit more degraded, but there's also some beautiful um, rocky outcrops and hilly areas, so potentially different habitat to the box-gum grassy woodland of Mulligan's Flat, like it is flat. So it may offer an opportunity to um, introduce different species trial you know instead of putting betons in one area we might try bandicoot so yeah we're not too sure exactly how it's going to go in the future I've got like a list of priority species that we're just going to be working our way through over the next 50 years who knows
0: And so, what are some of the priority species for the area you're working in? There's a couple of different ones, and
1: yeah, the story is different with them. The Rosenberg Goanna is one that we've been looking at for a number of years. They do still exist in the ACT, um, but they are in small pockets. Um, one of them is on, in a nature reserve, which is basically in the city of Canberra. So. Unfortunately, a lot of the young, as they're dispersing, get mopped up by cats. So they, they're they kind of clinging on the last the last few. So they're kind of one of the ones that we'd really like to see be brought into Mulligans because they're not in that area at the moment. What else? Uh, brushtown Fasca Gal is on the list, but uh, being such like a living hard and fast animal and being so tiny we actually don't really know how we're going to introduce it into an area this size um, but we've done a couple of native mice introductions and so far so good with them so yeah the new holland mouse and the eastern chestnut mouse have been reintroduced inside mulligans so we potentially will use the same tactics that we've worked out through their introductions to introduce the
0: a lot of the um, animals that we've been talking about that you've introduced into Mulligan's Flat, I think ternal. So we run Twilight Tours in Mulligan's
1: Flat and we've gone from running them once a month to four times a week, which is just insane in the space of about five years. And so the, the um, appetite is definitely there. People want to go out and see these animals that you can't see most places, especially around here. And that's gotten to a point where, you know, we're starting to be able to create an income to be able to put back into conservation projects. So um, the Spotted Tail Quoll trial is basically only funded through the money that we get through Twilight Tours and other tours like school tours. So it's this really interesting concept where we're not just begging the governments for money all the time writing grants you know we're trying to be self-sufficient enough to be able to um, put any income that we can make back into the sanctuary and that's kind of been like leveled up this year for about three years we've been trying to build a visitor center but like thank you COVID it's taken a long time and so I think in about May we'll be opening a visitor center where people can come for a coffee and look out to this beautiful, critically endangered um, ecosystem and hear the story about why the Betons are back here. And I think it's just going to be able to really break down that traditional way of learning and it just becomes really casual and a natural conversation of, yeah, this is conservation. This is what we do. You know, you buying this coffee here is supporting our conservation project. So, And it's basically been built at the section that is the most degraded (laughs) right right outside the most degraded spot of Mulligan's Flat. So people visiting won't be impacting the high-quality habitat. So it's all been very well thought out. And, yeah, we'll just, you know, be able to tell that story to so many more people now. We're really excited for that to open. So we've been waiting for so long.
0: (laughs) such a nice interface as well having Mulligan's flat as both a research hub as well as that public engagement it probably helps people to feel a lot more involved in what's actually happening on the front line of conservation if you were to do it all over again if you were to Start out again in conservation. What advice would you wish you knew earlier? Definitely do a course in GIS because I had to teach myself GIS
1: and that's not ideal. (laughs) yeah I would tell myself to volunteer in different areas not just the areas that I thought was completely interesting because I found after a while I was doing similar projects and my yeah I wasn't getting different kinds of skills I was getting better at one thing if you can volunteer with reptiles and all you know plants plants is really important so not just like cute fluffy things which is what I love to handle but (laughs) not a lot of jobs handle cute fluffy things so it's good to get different kinds of experience when um, volunteering but I've just found everyone who I do ask in the environmental world is so open to sharing their knowledge that they have if they've got the time like you know just pick their brains really that's what I do. (laughs) if they don't have the time make your time (laughs) that you can have a coffee with someone Um, because i think yeah most people really love talking about their research or their passionate area so you know i've learned so much just from asking people bunches of questions whether they like it or not so (laughs) yeah that would be my advice
0: (laughs) absolutely don't be shy So thank you so much for speaking with us. It's been incredible to hear your story today. If people wanted to follow your adventures or learn more about the topics you've been talking about today, where could they find you?
1: Um, Yeah, feel free to... Find me on uh, probably Instagram's best, so ecology.millie. Also Mulligan's Flat has got an awesome Instagram and Twitter account, so probably go follow them as well so you can keep up to date with all their shenanigans, not just me posting about sometimes animals, sometimes my chickens. So
0: (laughs) We will provide all of those links in the show notes below. So thank you very much again for coming on.
1: I just want to say thank you to you, Susie, for reaching out to me and um, yeah, also all the amazing science communication that you do through this channel. So, yeah, thank you um, for letting me be a part of it.
0: Thank you for joining us for another episode of It's a Wildlife. If you've been inspired by our discussion or have something to share, please get in touch. Leave us a review or share the love with your network. We'll chat soon.